1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Libra Cristo War College. Good morning. Welcome to Libra Cristo War College. Uh, we are we are without Jesse. It's a two-man aircraft. Uh, myself and uh, my good friend and colleague, Kyle Clement. Kyle, welcome back. It's good to be on here, just you and I. This might be the first time you and I have ever been on alone without without our beloved Jesse. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm missing him, but we will uh, we'll soldier through. That's right. We're going to Charlie Mike. We're going to continue the mission. Uh, Jesse did remind me. To, to make sure we covered uh, everything that Libra Cristo's got going on. So uh, give us a synopsis of what you got going on and, 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 and uh, let's kind of just touch base and before we get into today's topic. So what you got, what, what Bible studies, what are you working on? You got, what retreats are you having you? I know you and father got some retreats coming up. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah. Lots of things happening. And so first of all, um, father Ripperger and I are doing uh Predominantly, Father Riverger is doing three week-long retreats in Wyoming in June, uh, father-son retreat, mother-daughter retreat, and a single young men's retreat. Mm-hmm. And you can find out information, uh, www.montecristo.net, and that'll, uh, that'll give you the information on those events. But those are just some amazing retreats and an opportunity to spend a week uh, with Father uh, up at Louis Lake Lodge, beautiful place in the uh, Wind River Range. Father, this is very near to his heart, being able to do this every year. We've got ongoing trainings. Um, you can, again, go to that website, montecristo.net. <clears throat> find out about the various trainings, uh, priest exorcist training, um, regular priest training. There is a priest retreat that Father does for general practitioner priest. All of that information there. Um, also, there are some videos and some uh, some other information. You can exhaust that website and the Liber Cristo L I B E R C H R I S T O uh, dot org that uh, website as well. And um, I guess the biggest news um, is the book um, by published by Tan um, done by. Uh, Dr. Dan is uh, coming out in June and it's available for pre-purchase. So lots of things happening. And then today is um, Reclamation Theology, our um, retreat for the Pentecost. And so we'll meet tonight and then um, then next uh, uh, weekend. But so you can sign up for that retreat at montecristo.net. You can find out more about that. There's also a daily podcast every morning, Reclamation Theology. You can find out about that and subscribe to that. Um, those podcasts and retreats are free for seminarians and priests. So if you would like to give a gift of one of those, just you can sign your priest up, go on the website, and, and all the information is there. So lots lots happening. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, the book's coming out in uh, – in, in, uh, um in uh june so you can pre-order you can get a 20 percent discount on the tam's webpage 
the Libra Cristo method, um, a manual for spiritual warfare is the title. And so take a look if you want to order it. Uh, they, they, they insisted on, I found out when you write a book, and this is my second book, my, my doctoral thesis was published last month. You pretty much, uh, you give them the work and they take it from there and you don't get a lot of say. I, I'm not knocking Tan because I, I trust their business model, but they said, hey, we want to do a leather, the leather bound uh, version, which is a pretty cool looking. It looks like a big chunk of steak, you know, like a Pittsburgh style blackened steak that's red meat <laughs> on the inside. So that's the, you know, again, we're doing this, Kyle, you, 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 you were my, my sensei and my trainer many years ago um, and sat at your feet and Father Ripperger's feet for many years. Uh, uh, we're, we're in this for, for souls and not sales. And, um, we, we hope that we get a lot of books out there. The, the book, the book itself was designed not just to be used. We're using it as our, as Libra Christos, uh, the phase, you know, phase two of the four phase protocol. It's basically a deep catechetical dive into, uh, um, uh, the obstacles identifying where the enemy could get, has gotten gotten access, where you've given him permission, for example, in your life. We'll talk about that here shortly. An IVF fertilization, um, but but it's it's a deep dive into your past. Uh, uh, there's a long uh, uh, examination of conscience and really a general confession, teaching people how to pray. Most Catholics don't know how to pray teaching the rules of engagement. So, so I'm excited for the book to finally come out. Writing a book on spiritual warfare, Kyle, as you know, like preparing for talks, it's like that scene from Jumanji when they release the monkeys into the kitchen. That's what it's like sometimes. <laughs> it's just, you just got monkeys crawling all over you and you're just like, yeah, yeah. So you know, I'm, I got a Paschal candle here from the Carmelites. I've got, I've got statues of the Blessed Mother and St. Michael using all the sacramentals, um, but all to the glory of God. So um, but yeah, that's, that's coming up. We're going to do some videos. You and I and Jesse, we're going to do some videos and some video work on on deeper explanations on some of the issues that are that are confronting those in the exorcist community um, uh, that are doing work in this ministry. Things like uh, generational sin. We're going to talk about today um, things, you know, uh, the imposition of hands, the authority structure, just reiterating again, uh, the, you know, I use in the, in the manual Rogers Rules for Rangers, which is a which is the, the a rule book for that the U.S. Army Rangers still use. It's for guerrilla warfare. And ultimately, as uh, if you just watch the news a little bit, you realize that we're overrun and our only chance is going to be through guerrilla tactics. As you say, um, and I quoted in the book, we fight an ancient enemy and the ancient weapons are best. And so the enemy tracks in a very, in a very, very predictable way because he's been doing this for, for, from the beginning, as the catechism says. From the beginning of time, we, uh, man's, man's history is one of dour combat with the forces of darkness. So, so this is why we do it, to, 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 to glorify God and, and shed light on the modern battle, spiritual battlefield. So, um, so um, we've got a spiritual warfare conference coming up in Austin, Texas. It's going to be in the fall in September, I think. Um, we've got some other conferences here and there. So anyway, a lot happening. Let's go into the topic. I, I want to read this, 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 uh, a little bit of a, a, I think it's a pod, you know, not a podcast, but a blog. Um, the title is I'm Catholic and I still did IVF anyway. So, um, what happens, they said, when your faith is the one thing standing between you and fulfilling your dreams of having a family? This person, they're talking about struggling with infertility. So this Minnesota-based mom found out the hard way when her Catholic parish refused to baptize her son unless she confessed the sin of undergoing in vitro fertilization. Sin was in, in quotation marks. 
Marcelek didn't feel she had done anything wrong, so she approached some other Catholic churches in her area. Many priests told me no and were very mean about it. I even heard the term devil child, she recalls. That was when they crossed the line. So she tried to reason with her own parish priest again, but they were unable to reach a compromise, meaning she refused to, to confess in vitro fertilization as a, as a violation of the fifth commandment and a violation of church's teachings. Instead, the baptism took place at a local Lutheran church where they are welcomed with open arms and smiling faces. She now has two sons after a collective four years of fertility treatments, and her family has decided not to return to the Catholic church. Anyone going through a hard time should not have to defend themselves, especially with the church. A church should have open arms, especially since it is a baby that didn't do anything wrong. We only wish to have the kids like others do naturally, but we couldn't. All in all, we were saddened and disappointed to learn of the teachings of the Catholic Church. Indeed, the Catholicism takes a pretty strong stance against IVF. The church prohibits the type of conception that takes place outside of marital union, which rules out the use of assisted reproductive technology. And the another issue is the cryo uh, preservation of embryos, which presents numerous moral conundrums for Catholics. The church views embryos as human life, so discarding or donating leftover embryos is strictly forgiven, for, forbidden. Even freezing embryos for safer transfer is frowned upon since not all embryos survive the thaw. So comment on that, Kyle. I mean, I think that's kind of typical. We see a suburban mom that, that having trouble with conception. This is not a thing. We see this in many, many Old Testament biblical types and figures um, struggling with fertility. First, let's talk about the pastoral response, and let's get into the ethical, moral response of the church. What's your observations on hearing this? So it's a very interesting article. Um, first of all, I, I applaud and am very um, encouraged by the priestly response in that particular diocese, because that response varies from diocese to diocese. It should not. The Catholic response that you described that she encountered is, in fact, the correct response. And it's, it's hard. This is, these are the hard truths. And you elicited earlier, you, you mentioned earlier that we fight an ancient enemy and the ancient um, weapons, uh, the ancient response to this enemy that has been victorious and proven victorious. This is, this is what works. And many people say, well, the Catholic Church has too many rules. Well, it has what is necessary to, to gain salvation. There is no salvation outside the church. Um, all of those things being taken into account, I, I, uh, I think it, it illustrates that the goal has to be, everything has to be ordered towards salvation of souls, not towards satisfaction of, of humans. And you see the Lutheran church and various other churches are all geared toward, they are all ad hominem, ad uh, populum. They're geared toward the affirmation of the human, not the affirmation of God. And so, um, that's the first flyover as we look at this particular area. Um, and the demon is looking for, and this is a classic thing, he's looking for an unmoderated, a willingness to become immoderate in one's desires. And in this case, desire for a child, as if the child were an entitlement of marriage. And so that's the first impression. Yeah, let's get to the other response. Um, one of the things that you and I've discussed too is is this phenomenon of Hollywood uh, and famous uh, musicians going back. To how much 
10 seconds. All right, we'll take a hard break there. We'll get back into the, the moral question. But I want to talk, I want to go back to that, the immoderate use of the emotions and desiring to control one's own will, not the will of God. We'll pick up there the next time. All right, we're back on War College. In the absence of uh, our beloved Jesse Romero, who is traveling the next couple of days, we are going to uh, we're going to Charlie Mike. We're going to continue the mission. Me and Kyle Clement. Um, we're, we're discussing vitro fertilization and le leading into into the topic of generational sin. So, so going back to the the, the pastoral response uh, of the church, which I think was very good. Uh, because you have the the, the the priest needs to hold the line on this. They need to become informed with with uh, the church's teaching and not just bend because somebody says I'm willing to I I I want this emotionally. Um, and as you say, we we've talked about some Hollywood famous Hollywood people going back to gosh, there was a famous blue uh, um, blues. I forget the the author or the the singer sold his soul to the devil. He wrote a song about it. Um, that that phrase, you have what it takes is what the demon is looking for, correct, Kyle? Explain that. You have what it takes. Well, that's absolutely right. It plays to, to one's uh, over to either overdeveloped sense of justice or, or sense of entitlement that you are, in fact, unique. I think it's one of the values of growing up in a large family or with a large, large group of <laughs> siblings or cousins. You realize that you're special just like everyone else. Right. Um, and so... Yeah. That plays very, very well in the broken home uh, that centers around the manipulative child. Uh, we're, we're really encouraging the development of, um, not rightly, but wrongly, society is encouraging the development of these, um, these individuals who are the center of their own universe. And so the demon had, that's an instant psychological compatibility that says you are entitled. Um, and so we look at, especially in modern marriages, if they're not blessed with children, there is a sense of entitlement that we are entitled to have children. Um, if one is is gets married for the purpose of having children um, as the sole purpose rather than the vocation of spousal sacrifice and giving oneself to God, then the um, the chances of that marriage coming under attack are almost guaranteed because there's already a psychological compatibility and expectation. Um, and this plays right into that secondary topic with regard to generational sin and the vulnerability. I'm not wanting to go there, uh, take you there. I'm just saying they, those things are related. Yeah. And, and um, if, if you look, you know, from the church's teaching on the, the twofold ends, which most Catholics should know, the procreative and the unitive, there's, there has always been the primacy of the procreative. Uh, uh, and not just two equal ends, but there's a primacy to the procreative and any act that that circumvents uh, or bypasses or eliminates the procreative element um, and only focuses on the unitive is a, is a violation and vice versa. Um, so so uh, wait, wait a second. Wait, wait a second. Dan, are, are you telling me that um, economic convenience is not a viable reason? This I, 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 might sound non-pastoral, but yes. Yes, economic. Are you are you, are you telling are you telling me that companionship for older people who uh, whose spouses have died? Are you telling me that the desire for human companionship is not an adequate reason? Right. Yeah, it, it might sound pretty harsh That's and exactly. non-pastoral. I don't want to offend you, Kyle, because I know that you're easily offended on these things. You're very <laughs> pastoral minded. Uh, 
But so, you're, you're exactly right. When we look at when we look at second and third marriages, we look at marriages for companionship or economic advantage, etc. These are these do not meet the test of the holy sacrament of matrimony, which, as you rightly state, canonically, there are two purposes. There are primarily procreative, secondary, unitive. Right. So now there are two issues that flow from this on the issue of in vitro fertilization. And again, we, we're coming to this. Uh, you and I have worked cases together. We've seen multiple cases uh, where in vitro fertilization is, is one of the entry points. Um, so this is, this is not just speculative or just not just theological. We're talking about the, the correlation between this and the entrance of evil into, the, into a, a marriage or into a family. There's two, there's two, two things that the, this, this, this blog or this article talks about. One is the problems, and it rightly points out the problems uh, that the Catholic Church moral teachings have to do with cryopreservation. And I, wanna, I want you to weigh in on these two, cryopreservation, and number two, um, the manner of insemination. So, so is it, uh, and it, it, IVF does a, uses a Petri dish. Now, they, there is intra, intrauterine insemination, which the article says they try to that, that some Catholics try to get a workaround using a perforated condom to collect the sperm sample. So as if that's a workaround. I mean, it's still an illicit act and it's still an, a gravely moral act, the use of contraception in the process. So those are the two moral, those are the crux of this uh, IVF is comes down to the cryopreservation and the in the in the mode of insemination, which which uh, um, one violates the dignity of the human person created at conception. The second violates the 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 procreative act itself uh, in a grave way. Your comments? Well, you're precisely right, uh, Dan. I think there's there's one other sub element, but let's speak first to the most egregious, which is that um, there are going to be multiple uh, conceptions. Almost every single time IVF is used, uh, there's a super ovulating drug which is administered, which now we're, we're, all, we're into an unnatural, we've already altered nature and nature's um, cycles. And so there's a super ovulating drug which causes the ovary to release multiple eggs. Then all of these are, or many of these are fertilized. So you've got uh, multiple fertilizations or multiple uh, conceptions. And so the principle here, the primary principle here is the ends cannot justify the means. To have one viable um, human, viable embryo, and many other conceptions, many other uh, children killed, um, what is going to be the psychological impact on the person when they're in their 20s, 30s, and realize that, you know, 15 of their siblings died so that they might live? Yeah. There is some Serious, and we're dealing with some serious psychological ramifications on these on these children uh, that are conceived in this way when they realize what is what has been done. Um, also, the interesting thing is that oftentimes these problem pregnancies, and here's a third rail. Here's one of the things that is not popular, um, but we'll say it. Oftentimes, the fertility problems are a result of having spent a long time contracepting. So the female reproductive tract is altered through the use of uh, contraceptive drugs. And so now you're trying to force that damaged tract, if you will, to now bring forth life. And this is inconsistent. 
it's it's bringing forth life because you want life uh, now because it, it's convenient now. These are all things that make for psychological compatibility, but around the demons that surround IVF. The other issue. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, not the just other, the, the, the use of contraception with women, you know, the birth control pill that's altering their cycles, that's physically altering their bodies. There's also studies showing that the, the over, you know, the, the, the excessive use of any use of pornography, but the, the widespread and excessive use of pornography among men is causing a dramatic decrease in testosterone levels and fertility flowing from that. So you have this twofold, the contraception, the use of the birth control pill, but also heavy, heavy, you know, over and over addiction to pornography and masturbation. This is going to create, these are going to chemically alter your body and your ability to conceive. Well, you're precisely right. It's actually an exhausting of the faculty. Yeah. I think this is one of the, it, it's an exhausting of the faculty. You're also going to see, nobody wants to talk about this, but I think there's a very strong correlation um, between um, the transgender issues, all these other issues uh, with regard to uh, contraception, the habitual use, long-term use of contraception. And with regard to men, I think you're seeing an increase in prostate cancer and other things because it's simply an overuse of the faculty. It's a misuse and immoderation. Um, of the procreative faculty. The um, I, you, natural family planning is another third rail that nobody wants to touch, but the idea that it's actually can't, it actually is often used as a form of, of avoidance, contraception avoidance, um, and the frequency of the conjugal act is not moderated, it's simply regulated. And I think that's one of the, the issues. But you brought up another thing with regard to the uh, locus of fertilization. And so the locus of conception is to be in the womb of the mother, not in a Petri dish. And so it's pretty clear that, um, you know, you've got a problem there. You've also got a problem with how is the sperm collected? So more often than not, it's through masturbation, a form of self-harm. Um, and so you've got a morally sinful act. You've got a, um, uh, a grave matter by which the, uh, the sperm is, is collected. And so this is, is rife. It is literally a minefield of potential diabolical uh, influences and psychological compatibility. But I think what speaks to it in this article is listen to the woman's self-justification. There's no contrition. There's no understanding of the sin. There's no understanding of what she has done, the culpability. Um, there is a very, very strong self-justification and the idea that the church is, in fact, wrong on this issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel very, here's what she says. I feel very strongly that my husband and I desire to create life. Listen to the diabolic land, the, 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 the echoes of the demon back there. We desi I desired we desired to create life, and I believe God is the ultimate giver of life, says Holly, who now has two daughters, one conceived through IVF and the other spon spontaneously, as if they're equal, as well as two frozen embryos for future use. I did not see a conflict. So so but you're right, this the sense of entitlement. Let's talk about the cryopreservation. I remember one time you gave a presentation and you asked, uh, what do you do with these preserved embryos? I mean, these frozen. Um, is it is it a greater sin? 
to, to keep them frozen for eternity, or is it a greater sin to, to destroy them? And mo most of the time they end up destroying them, but oftentimes they're kept cryogenically frozen in a, in a, in a lab somewhere, in a you know, some, um, and, and, and everybody was kind of debating back and forth, trying to think of the answer. What did Kyle want us to say? What is the answer on this? And you said, well, it's neither. I mean, it's, it's like a murderer saying, which one should I kill first? I mean, both acts, are gravely immoral, and we and, and we can't frame the debate based on that because you're you're trying to do something good out of something evil that was take that had already taken place. Precisely right. The Thomistic principle is these are the results of an unjust act, and there will not be a just response. So many times we don't realize that our actions produce an um, a scenario, an environment, a circumstance from which we cannot have a just response. Um, yeah, yeah. If you want, if you want to, you know, proceed in justice, then we must start in justice. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what we we covered this a little bit in the manual. Where you and I were talking about it. I sent over. Uh, really, the the middle of the manual is a deep dive general confession, and this falls under uh, in vitro fertilization falls under the uh, um, violations of the fifth commandment, which is in the back of the deliverance prayers for use by the laity. Um, there's a good uh, um, um, examination of conscience there. Um, violation of the, fifth, of the fifth commandment. Anything else on this? Yeah, the only other thing remaining on this is, and we've got, I had a couple of uh, case reviews this morning where the common factor was there was a, there's a lack of contrition. And so that's essentially what you've got with this, the woman in the article is, is there's no repentance, there's no metanoia, there's no contrition. Um, and so this is an opening of an invictus, be it done unto me according to my word, my way. Um, this is a very high psychological compatibility. All, right, All right. We'll come back after the break. Okay. Wednesday War College. You're, we're back. Me and uh, Kyle Clement, my good friend my uh, my uh, sensei and uh uh and fellow lover of our lord jesus christ and his blessed mother so kyle we're talking about in vitro fertilization let's let's shift because you and i have both worked cases where it's not just the unforgiveness it's not just the entitlement but the entry point was something familial or generational and so there's a lot of debate uh at least at least disagreement and let's, let's not say debate because um you know, I'd like to have debate. I'd like to have a good intellectual discussion with people on this topic of generational sin. There's a there's a fairly prominent exorcist has written a, a recent blog on this topic on generational sin. Um, and do they exist? What are some of the debates? What are some of the 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 the, the principles that both sides? You know, some would say there's no such thing as generational sins. And very prominent exorcists would say that. Our experience. Uh, as otherwise, uh, you and I have, have seen this in the field very practically. Uh, Father Ripperger obviously writes about this in Dominion and other places. He's, he, he's given several good uh, um, three or four um, YouTube uh, that are on YouTube lectures on generational sin. Let's talk about this this article a little bit um, about the Freemasonic curse. That this this exorcist talks about. Um, you know, he rolled. Of course, he rolls right into exorcism with. <clears throat> 
no discernment, but we won't, we won't talk about that. He rolls into exorcism, which a lot of exorcists do, without any discernment or any, any sort of uh, workup like we do with the four-phase protocol in Libra Cristo. But he goes into prayer. It gets stuck. The guy leaves. He does the renunciations, uh, Freemasonic renunciations. It helps lift things. So talk about, about, about generational sins in general. And then I want to get into the manual, um, a, little pre, a little excerpt from the manual on this topic. But talk about generational sin and, and what you've seen in your experience and the various opinions in the field. So there are varying opinions. Um, generally, what we find is those, this is, a, this is not an area of, uh, speculative theology. It's actually settled theology. But the problem is, is with the influence of Jesuitical thought and the deformation in seminaries and modern uh, theology, everything now is, is subject for re-examination. Um, and so nothing stays settled. The demon loves this idea that nothing stays settled, um, that everything is negotiable. It's been our experience consistently that there is in fact generational sin it has many aspects to it and and it's very consistently operative as the church fathers uh, describe it as it's described scripturally um and it, it's just a it's a very clear delineated um area of functional theology and that's one of the things about the liberation ministry exorcism is it's functional theology, the demon either yields or he doesn't yield. He doesn't engage in speculative or academic debate. <clears throat> um, he will either yield or he won't yield. He'd like to, to get you to engage in, in those <laughs> activities. But like you said, you know, we've lost the rule of oratory, the understanding that there is a superior argument and one must yield to the superior argument or one must yield to a settled uh, concept. In generational sin, what we see over and over again is there is there is no such thing as the innocent victim. And I think that's a key understanding is this is and we'll start with the scripture that they use for repudiation. And that is the scripture out of Ezekiel with regard to the teeth of the children being set on edge. Fathers eat green grapes, etc that's often used as the repudiation but is in fact an affirmation that one is responsible for their own sin and it is in the affirmation of the generational sin or deviant behavior that we become vulnerable our misunderstanding of curses and the way curses work is the idea that that someone is an innocent victim of a curse, and that is simply not true. In order for a curse to be effective, there has to be a vulnerability. Remember that a curse is a, it's the inversion of a blessing. It's the counterfeit of a blessing. In order for a blessing to be operative, there has to be a disposition of openness to God, to the Holy Spirit, to Christ. There has to be an, a disposition of openness to the blessing. It's exactly the same with regard to the curse. There has to be a disposition which allows the curse to have an effect. That may be habitual mortal sin. That may be some form of affirmation. But ultimately, generational sin exists. Its ability to be present to the individual in modern time has something to do with that individual's vulnerability. And so that's the basis for our understanding and the functional understanding 
uh, of generational sin and generational curses. Yeah, this is something. Um, it's it's a big issue we need to, we need to discuss because there's, again, there's stark disagreement in, among among exorcists. Um, if, if if you want to do more research on this, um, um, Saint Augustine covers this extensively in his in his debate with Julian and uh, um, um, his answer to the Pelagians. The Pelagians held that there was no such thing as generational sin. Here's what Augustine, doctor of the church, says. He does not lay the blame on imitation, but on generation. But in, but in some way, nonetheless, some sins of certain parents are passed on to their children, not by imitation, but by generation and are punished in them. Saying that the, the sins of the parents find they, the parents are being punished uh, in, in, through their sins in the children. Now, with regard to Ezekiel 18, that you say that, you know, the, that, that uh, to each person, uh, they will be held accountable for their own sins. Now, we know that sin later in, in later theology, this, the sin, the, the, the sin, it, it, the ability to sin lies in the will. And so uh, Augustine says this as well. He responds to Julian. Julian makes the same argument that many of the many modernist uh, uh, theologians would say today. Julian makes the same argument from Ezekiel. Augustine says two things. One, he says, he quotes Ezekiel, the soul of the parent is mine and the soul of the child is mine, undoubtedly saying that they are undoubtedly leading their own lives. And so there's two, there's two levels of meaning Augustine is saying. The first meaning is, yes, they're leading their own lives when the, ch the, the, the child, as you say, once the child appropriates with his will, because sin exists in the will, this is not deterministic, this is not... Um, Meaning it's not automatic, um, but but and even Augustine says the punishment is lesser. There's grace given to the children when it passes on through a family line. But but number one is the child will if the child appropriates, then then culpability lies in. And number two, he talks about the soul of being reborn, pulls out an element of, of rebirth uh, um, in here, saying that this is a prophecy of baptism and original sin. And so now original sin that was generated uh, or passed on through natural generation is now washed away in the waters of rebirth. And so there's two elements there that, that, that it's much more nuanced than, than meets the eye. But it's very clear, Augustine, doctor of the church, I mean, for 60, 70 pages, goes on and on in debating this Pelagian Julian uh, on this topic. So, um, but I like, how you, I like how you bring it back to 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 again to it's the counterfeit a curse is the counterfeit of a blessing there's multiple places uh, augustine goes to all of them exodus 25 exodus 34 7 jeremiah 32 18 leviticus 26 32 numbers 14 18 deuteronomy 5 9 to those who hate me i will curse to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me and then god describes those who hate me who worship false gods, who offer who offer sacrifices to false gods, where we say we see also in Psalm 96, 5, the, the gods of the Gentiles are demons. When you offer sacrifice in some form to, to a demon god, a false god, or a demon that opens you up to the, a curse, opens you up to curse, which is the inverse of a blessing. Comments on that, Kyle? No, you're precisely right. It's solid, settled theology. It goes to Augustine. This is ancient theology. It is exactly the same. It is unchanging. I think it's interesting, though, and a parallel to be made is that all of these 
Freemasonry is a good example. Um, all of these generational curses that follow the generations, they're going to go back to an original actor, and that original actor is going to pledge certain things. All of this is a counterfeit of the covenant relationship with God. The Jews are a beneficiary of a covenant made by Abraham. And so it follows there and they are born into a relationship with God. And so people are born into a relationship with the gods of the Gentiles. Uh, some people are. Um, and so they're born into diabolical relationship. This is this is settled theology. This is original sin. This is um, but even those going further, like such as Freemasonry, where there have been patent um, vows and representations and pledges made to militate against the church and to, to militate against God, to militate in the name of, of Lucifer, then the diabolical is going to exact a claim on that uh, person when they are born. Now, the original vow, the original agreement is quite a bit more formal than subsequent agreements. This follows sacrificial, uh, sacramental theology. So, for instance, there is a, a rite and a ritual with baptism. There is an exorcism. There is an affirmation. There is the baptismal promises. There is uh, the water, the use of the water. There is the anointing. There is the imposition of hands. There are all of those things in the sacrament of baptism but it's affirmed through a simple repetition of the baptismal promises so the affirmation of the curse is going to be much less than the invocation or incantation which um, initiated the curse so for instance um Oftentimes in Freemasonry, the portions of the curse against fertility, the demon is going to take contraception as an affirmation of the curse, uh, of the militation against procreation. And so the, the, the use of, of contraception is not near as egregious and, de and developed and ritualistic as the original uh, pledge. All right, 10 seconds. We'll, we'll pick it up here. I got a couple of things that, uh, again, I, reading Augustine reminds me a lot of you, Kyle. So I'm going to go back to what, to, uh, to what he says uh, uh, in the next segment. All right, Wednesday War College, Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We're here today, myself, Dan Schneider, and uh, Mr. Kyle Clement. Talking about generational sin, I just got a text from uh, my Cav Scout fellow Cav Scout uh, Ernie. Ernie Lopez uh, uh, um, tells me it's Robert Johnson. He's right on the crossroads. I went down the crossroads. He tells the story of how he sold his soul to the devil. Um, so I wanted to bring up, continue this topic. So thank you, Ernie. Uh, um, I, I, the topic of, of generational sin. It's again, even Augustine appeals to tradition when he says you're a heretic. And you're going against the unanimous tradition of the church, which you have rejected, uh, which I found interesting. Here's what he said. But even if other com parents commit many sins because they sin with a weak soul and a corruptible body, which weighs down the soul, nature does not become destined to die because of their sins, 
but by God's secret and just judgment, the children receive for the sins of these parents a punishment that is far different and far less. For he arranges all things in measure and number and weight, and truthfully says, I shall punish the children for the sins of their parents, Exodus 25. Therefore, he says, when we say human beings are born with a defect, you think that we are saying that the devil is their creator. You're so blind or stubborn that you cannot or will not even notice the, that bodily defects with, with which some are born. If we ask you how they merited such defects, you will find nowhere to flee except for over a cliff, as long as you do not want to return to the solid rock of the Catholic Church. Because, he says, going back to Jeremiah, each person will not die for the sin of the parent, but for one's own sin, if he has committed sin. So, it's, Augustine, you're building on, 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 whether you know it or not, you're building on Augustine. I, I suspect that you've read this. Um, I'm going to bring up two points. Go ahead, I'm, we'll go ahead and comment on that. Then I'll bring up a couple of things from the New Testament. Well, you're, you're precisely right, Dan. I, I, um, I, while I've read it, I, I think truth is truth. And, and it's not truth because I say it. It's not truth because Augustine says it. It's truth because it's truth. And we're just seeing the same thing. Um, it, I, uh, and it, we watch it play out over and over and over again. That's why it's just it's functional theology. The demon yields or he doesn't yield. He works in a certain way or he doesn't work in a certain way. Right. But this is what's beauty in our what is the beauty in our faith is what Augustine is saying is what Father's saying is what all people who are are experiencing this they're all saying the same thing. And it again, it's not because they read or are aware of each other. It's because they're looking at the same thing. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm working on the next the next book. The follow up to the manual is the primer and uh, um, exorcism in the New Testament. I found interesting. I'm covering Mark's gospel going in to the Gerasene demoniac. There's a whole lot of martial elements in that. But what was interesting, Jesus starts knocking it out of the park. Uh, he sends the apostles, the, the, the apostles out. They start driving out demons. And then he goes back to pagan territory and he encounters a Syrophoenician woman. Um, and he said he went off into the district of Tyre. This is the land of Canaan. OK. Um, and then a woman comes up and, and, and her daughter is afflicted by a demon. She is a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to drive the demon out of her daughter, literally her little daughter. And the only time in the New Testament this word is used is here in the healing of Jairus's son in Mark's gospel, the, the little daughter, the Thugarion, right? Which in, in Jairus's daughter, Mark tells us, was 12 years old. So we're talking about a pubescent or prepubescent girl who's afflicted by a demon. And Jesus says this non-pastoral thing, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take food of the children and throw it to the dogs, literally to the little dogs. You bring me a little daughter, but she's a little dog. Echoing back to the harlot's price or a dog's price of Deuteronomy 23.9, Leviticus 18. Um, these commandments against uh, 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 do not do what they do in the land of Canaan. Right. They call it a dog's price because only dogs copulate indiscriminately. So you're talking about ritualistic copulation, ritualistic sex. OK, so she so. One, she's 12 years old, and then, and then her faith, the faith of her mother, is what Jesus needs to drive the demon out. Two chapters later, now in Mark 9, Jesus is transfigured. Uh, God, uh, the, the Father says, this is my beloved son, right? Uh, listen to him. And so now um, they come down, the apostles are now struggling for the first time to drive a demon out. And this was the, the epileptic boy. If you remember all the homilies from the 80s that this boy had epilepsy. So a boy with a demon, Jesus asked him, 
how long has this been going on? He asked the father, if you read the narrative between the lines in the narrative, the boy's manifesting. He's manifesting right in front of Jesus, right? At this, and so the, the apostles couldn't drive him out. And the father says something very interesting. The Greek, the Greek word in, in the in the English, it says uh since childhood. The Greek word is pideothen. Jerome translates in the Latin ab infancia. Pideothen is since since infancy, since the beginning that you could see any sorts of development. Since he was a if we had an aversion. Uh, uh, an Ohio or a Texas version of the translation, it would say, since he was a little feller, since I can remember him being little, he would manifest in this way. Um, again, this is the, it's from scripture, and we see these accounts, how the possibility of a child, an infant, suffering affliction. And we see two instances in, in Mark's gospel, which is one long exorcism, if you really look at it. Any comments on either of that? No, you're precisely right. As you get deeper into this, and especially as we go back into Jerome, we go back into the ancient text, and, and your ability to do this is is invaluable because it unlocks it. Um, you know, if you're reading the good news or the NAB or something like this, um, <laughs> you're eating bologna, and there is steak there. Um, it's, a, it's You know, bologna's off the same carcass as the prime prime rib, but it is a totally different experience. And you get all the you get all the insights, you get all the understanding that what they're encountering at the foot of the cross, at the foot of Mount Tabor after the transfiguration is in fact generational sin. Here's a kid that um, is under a generational curse. And the dialogue between the father and Christ, the whole thing is very, very important. And the miss, how often have we heard um someone misinterpret this understanding this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting he's not talking about the prayer and fasting of the exorcist he's talking about the prayer and fasting of the family afflicted yep yeah I, i've had exorcists i'm sure you have too. call me hey i had this guy he was doing this and he did this ritual and he he you know he performed this ritual he's a member of this satanic group and man i'm not getting any movement you know what what, what basically what's the secret prayer that i could pray to drive this demon out and i said ah I don't know, Father. Uh, I think this type only comes out through prayer and fasting. He goes, man, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm fasting so much. I, you know, I'm losing weight, blah, blah, blah. And I, uh, and this one particular priest, I said, Father, I'm not talking about you. You're not the guy that smeared and smeared himself <laughs> pig's blood naked and jumped into a pentagram and performed a sexual ritual act at a cemetery. <laughs> this type only comes out through prayer and fasting. And so when you have these generational sins, even though Augustine, uh, it says very here that, 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 that I quoted, the children receive for the sins of these parents a punishment that is far different and far less. And so the parent is the one, the one in the familial construct, which is what the genius of the Libra Cristo protocol, it involves the entire family. When the whole family bears down with prayer and fasting, when the whole familial construct comes together, and, and, and fasting isn't just skipping food or meat on Fridays, which we need to do, but also media fast, fasting from all sorts of small little sacrifices, small little things, right, that, that, that will help. Little sacrifices, little prayers, devotions, going back to the ancient faith. We fight an ancient enemy, and the ancient weapons are best. best. And so, uh, um, so it's, the, it's the family construct coming to bear with faith, because Jesus says, if I, you know, he kind of, Jesus gets a little snarky here, if I can, you know what I mean? If you can, yeah. help us, right? <laughs> what do you mean if I can? I, I'm the God man. 
I am the word. All things were created through me. I am God. What do you mean if I can't, you know, which is pretty, pretty telling, you know? And so it's so tapping into that. And this is what our protocol does. So there's no secret magic bullet. The article that the exorcist wrote made it seem overly simplistic. And sometimes it is. Sometimes you pray, you break this curse and it just goes away. There's, there's a prayer for free Masonic curses in the back of the deliverance prayers for use by laity. There's other prayers against uh, uh, familial sins. And generational curses and, and deliverance prayer book. So praying those prayers, they're very effective. Uh, uh, but sometimes these things are dogged. These things are deep, they're like dug in ticks. And, you know, I remember, I'm going to share some of my hillbilly experiences, which I'm sure you'll appreciate being from Texas. Uh, I, whenever we would go down to the hills and visit my grandparents down in the hills of Southern Ohio, we would, there was always ticks, right? And of course, there's always one sibling that was a tick magnet. Before I was a chick magnet, I was a tick magnet. And every weekend I would get a tick somewhere and a tick would come on me. And, and my dad, back in the day when, you know, guys would smoke, he would say, get over here. And you can't, you can't just pluck this thing out with tweezers because you could leave his part of his, his, his prongs or whatever in you. And my dad would just take a drag of that cigarette, get it red hot. And he would put it right up against it, or we'd say in Ohio, right up again, the back of that tick. And that tick would just, with the heat, would just bear himself and just pull himself right out because you can't withstand the heat. This is how, this is the peskiness of generational curses and sins. And it takes that amount. You got to bring heat down to bear it, to get it out of the flesh of the family. And you do that through, through, through prayer and fasting in various forms. Comments on that? No, you're absolutely right. And it even goes to a deeper level is you'll notice that there are people who are more prone to mosquitoes, more prone to ticks and those who are less. And it's because of a vulnerability, either an autoimmune, something about their body attracts the parasite, attracts the, the opportunist. And so um, sometimes it's through their own fault. Sometimes it's through no fault of their own. But there is an exposed hide. There is, an, there is a vulnerability that allows the tick to be there and allows the mosquito to be there, etc. All of this follows nature. The demon is no different. He follows and obeys the rules of predation because they are the rules of nature. They are the laws of nature. If somebody really wants to get into this, um, the, the best book I've found is Sins of the Parents by Father uh, Doyle. And this is an uh, old text that's been brought back. But it's an extremely good one to have if somebody is... If, if you have a child who will one day be courting and will one day be married, you need to read this book. This should be part of all marriage prep, but it's available through Roman Catholic books out of Fort Collins, Colorado. It's a republished. It was originally done uh, in the 50s, and it's uh, Father Doyle, and the title of the book is Sins of the Parents, Councils on Marriage and Youth Guidance. All right. Excellent. Uh, sins, of the, sins of the Parents, Father Doyle. Uh, there's a lot of good resources. Again, there, the, we, we try to bring some light of truth upon this stuff and help us understand. What is, what's fascinating to me is to see our own experience in the present time dealing with cases and, and then going back to me as a scholar, going back to the scriptures and then the early development in the early church and how these things were hammered out. And then we kind of went through this amnesia. 100, 200 years of amnesia, where we've lost that sense of tradition. We've lost the sense of continuity with our past. And so, Kyle, last any last words? You got 30 seconds. No, Dan, just uh, you guys, if this, if this subject interests you, Augustine is a definitive source, then Father Doyle. 
Um, and then buy the book, buy Dan's book. Yeah, I got a section on that. It's, that's, that's one of the lessons we go through. All right, I think we're running out of time. Uh, uh, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.